Rob, there's a, a Ryan Reynolds movie in theaters <laughs> right now with the hitman's uh, wife's bodyguard. It's not getting the best feedback. I, I'll be honest with you. I had a, I was excited for this movie. And then a lot of people I knew told me they saw it before me and that they didn't really like it all that much. And so I've Ann and I have kind of delayed going to see it. So I still haven't seen the hitman's wife's bodyguard even though I'm a huge Ryan Reynolds fan. But the other Ryan Reynolds movie that's on its way out, the one that I've been a little bit more excited about, has been Free Guy. I mean, it's a really... I've liked the trailers. It's been great. And, you know, Ryan Reynolds has been doing, like, a terrific job doing all of his standard marketing stuff. He knows how to grill up market his thing even better than Dwayne The Rock Johnson does. Yeah, It's crazy. Now, of course, the greatest gorilla marketing of all time was for Deadpool. If you can even call that, I don't know what to call what they did for Deadpool, but Ryan Reynolds just constantly, constantly upped it and upped it and upped it and promoting that film. So why not do the same thing for Free Guy? A video just dropped online that Ryan Reynolds put out. That is Deadpool and Korg doing a trailer reaction for Free Guy. Deadpool and Korg doing a trailer for rea- reaction for Free Guy. And I will tell you this, without any hesitation, this is the greatest thing I've seen on the internet in like a month or more. <laughs> this this is amazing. The line when he says, ah, here comes the comments where people say Ryan Reynolds is just me all the time. That's annoying. I mean, I love that. The line at the end though, Rob, when Deadpool says, ah, this just kind of looks like one of those last minute Fox fire sale going out of business movies, which I thought was like one of the greatest lines I'd ever heard in a trailer. The Korg stuff was great. The whole thing about, you know, hey, uh, any hints on getting into the MCU was absolutely fantastic. This is gold level stuff that we've just come to expect from Ryan Reynolds. And if you guys have not seen it, you absolutely need to get online and go see it. Rob, you had a chance this morning, just like the rest of us, to check out this Ryan Reynolds or Deadpool and Korg trailer reaction to Free Guy. What did you think of it? Dude, I again, I mean, the, first of all, that Disney allowed this kind of marketing. I mean, yes, the bad language, the R-rated language just bleeped out, but it's still there. I thought this was worthy of, of everyone. I, I loved it. And it looked like they were sitting in Thor's old house from New Asgard. You know, that's from uh, well, that's from, where Korg's been living, too. That would make yeah, sense. He's been living, so so I guess the question of wh- whether or not Deadpool is in the MCU has been answered because <laughs> canonically, if you really want to look at it, I guess this is a piece of uh, MCU canon now. Well, Korg and Deadpool well, hanging out in Thor's house. No, because remember, they're talking about agents and how do I get into the MCU? So. It's 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 spoofy, but by the way, uh, Chasm sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks for that, man. But Doesn't I I'm just, mean it's not real, John. I well, maybe <laughs> we can go with that, but we know he's going to be there anyway. But I, I just the fact that they went there with it, I think is great. Now, obviously, listen, Disney owns Free Guy now, and they own the rights to Deadpool and Korg. So yeah, of course, it's all in house. But still, the fact that Disney let them kind of go there with this. Uh, is very exciting, and I think maybe a harbinger for some. I mean, obviously, I'm 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 completely speculating here, but maybe a harbinger of an upcoming Deadpool announcement. I I don't know. Do you think maybe Rob they could be parlaying this into getting Deadpool in front of pace, faces again to make some kind of Deadpool announcement soon, or do you think nah, nah, nah this was just a really fun, cute one-off thing? How, what do you <clears> think <throat> the approach is here? 
Dude, if they don't announce a Korg Deadpool team up movie, there is something wrong with Earth. <laughs> I mean, I would watch that. I'm still waiting for the Benicio del Toro, Jeff Goldblum, Howard the Duck road movie. But if they put Korg and Deadpool in a film, I can only imagine. Hilarious. Guys, the question is Have you guys had a chance to see this Deadpool and Korg react to the trailer of Free Guy? It's the best piece of marketing they put out for this movie so far. Nothing else will get people talking about this movie more than this spot. Again, absolute online genius from Ryan Reynolds. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. Rob, this just came out this morning. The Emmy nominations have, of course, come out and been announced. And obviously, like, the big prize at the Emmys, not knocking any of the limited or the comedies or anything like that, but obviously the big prize at the Emmys is the best drama series. That is what they consider to be their top prize. Now, correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think Mandalorian got a nomination last year. Uh, Mandalorian got nominated for that, which is great. This year, we have no fewer than three genre films, four, depending on how you interpret it. Take a look at this. Being nominated for the top prize at the Emmys this year for Best Drama Series are Amazon's The Boys have been nominated for Best Drama Series at the Emmys. Bridgerton, which became like one of the hugest pop cultural things this year. Uh, The Crown. Handmaid's Tale, which is like one of my favorite things on TV. Handmaid's Tale is such excellence is incredible. Lovecraft Country got nominated for Best Series just after they announced they're not getting a season two. But Lovecraft gets a nomination for Best Series at the Emmys. The Mandalorian picks up its second Best Drama Series nomination at the Emmys. Uh, Pose gets nominated. And, of course, one that has just been regularly up there for the last number of years is This Is Us. But look at this, Rob. The Boys, depending on how you look at it from genre perspective, maybe Lovecraft Country, uh, Handmaid's Tale, Mandalorian. This is some really... Great stuff in categories we are used to seeing shows like, you know, Sopranos and and The Crown, obviously, and these big dramas. The Boys gets in there. I mean, number one, I'm super thrilled that Mandalorian's gotten his second nomination. By the way, RM and Cesar Rivera. Thank you, Cesar Rivera. Puts in number one fan as well. But those guys send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Um, It's And by the way, Dominic Ray in the live chat does bring up a very valid point, though. Like, it is absolute bullshit that the John Campus show isn't on that list. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I don't know. Obviously, it's a big snub, but whatever. They're very anti-Italian over there at the uh, at the Emmys. But no, seriously, it's great to see Mandalorian on that list again. The boys, though, Rob, is something that you and I have talked a lot about. This is a brilliant show that's wrapped up in a you know superhero genre package but when you get beyond the veneer of the superhero package it's incredible writing amazing characters nobody is one or two dimensional everybody has 50 shades of gray essentially in the show amazing conflicts wonderful writing it is a just truly at its core a brilliant show that just happens to be wrapped up in this superhero package that gives it an incredible balance of marketability and pop culture, you know, influence, as well as just being hardcore, high quality stuff. And the fact that the Emmys have recognized that, 
I think it's amazing. So, and again, I'm thrilled for all of these. No, I actually, I think all these, it's great. The fact that Bridgerton also got recognized. I never got into Bridgerton nearly as much, much as my wife did, but Anne watched all of it, of course. Uh, but it's great. But it's some other interesting things in here, too. So not only did Lovecraft Country get nominated, Rob, but Jonathan Majors got nominated for Best Actor in a Series, which is fantastic for him because this guy is blowing up right now because not only, of course, was he great in Lovecraft, he is, of course, going to be Kang the Conqueror, maybe as early as tonight. But uh, that's a topic for, for a little bit later in the show. But Jonathan Majors in there. He pulls in a Best Lead Actor nomination. By the way, it looks like Paul Bettany has gotten, but Paul Bettany didn't get nominated for Best Actor in a Drama Series. He got nominated for Best Actor in a Limited Anthology Series, as did Elizabeth Olsen as well. But I mean, it's just, it's really great to see genre material being recognized so much. It's great to see Jonathan Majors right now getting this kind of a bump and just blowing up right now. Rob, this is great stuff. When you look down these lists, what are the things that are standing out to you the most? Well, first of all, I you know, I thought the Queen's Gambit and Mayor of Easttown were both just stellar. And uh, Anya Taylor-Joy was incredible. I love that whole series. So right. see and that both, get... both did get nominated for limited series, not not drama, yes. but they both got nominated for best limited series. Absolutely. But also, look, just to see genre fair, <laughs> science fiction, fantasy and horror has now become the norm now. Like, like it shouldn't be we shouldn't be surprised to see like the boys and the Mandalorian and and uh, other shows Lovecraft Country be be nominated now. I think that finally people have realized that genre programming, science fiction, fantasy and horror is just as valid as anything else. And I've kind of waited my whole life. It's slowly we've made inroads, things like Silence of the Lambs winning at the Oscars and Lord of the Rings, of course. But now seeing it permeate the uh, the Emmy Awards, uh, I think finally we're here, you know, I, uh, that I, I would like to have seen some from the earth to the moon love, but um, or pardon me, for all mankind love. But hey, uh, I think we're making progress and I'm, I'm really happy with these awards. I think it's great. And the best part about it is, as you look at the list, I don't feel specifically the genre of Mandalorian, The Boys, Lovecraft, Handmaid's Tale, things like that. I don't feel like any of them were just given this nomination as a token. I look at these and I think, no, these are really excellent, excellent shows. These are fantastic dramas that deserve this sort of thing and not be overlooked. And again, we should mention one more time that the the additional thing, Mandalorian is now two for two. They've had two seasons and both times they have been evaluated by the Academy of Television that this is one of the best shows out there right now. And for the second time, Mandalorian gets nominated for best series. This is absolutely fantastic stuff. And there's a, the, again, guys, online is the full list of all the Emmy nominations. There's a lot of really good and interesting things out there. But this is really exciting to see as a genre fan. Question is for you guys. What do you think? Of the Emmy nominations that have come up. First of all, amazing that we've got shows like Mandalorian, The Boys, Lovecraft, and others. Were there any other surprises? What were your thoughts on all this? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. By the way, our friend Rampage Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Rampage. Appreciate that, man. All right. Oh, as does Mr. Wolfgang. Wolf, Mr. Wolfgang does, does as well. Thank you, Mr. Wolfgang. All right, guys, listen. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really simple. 
You guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you feel we need to cover as a main topic on The John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, our first main co- to- topic, John. Uh, hold on, just one second. Did you lose <laughs> our your first again? main topic comes from Constable Wigglesworth. John, Rob, so I saw that Wes Anderson's new film, The French Dispatch, just debuted yesterday at Cannes to great reviews. It's currently sitting at one hundred percent. This is easily my most anticipated film of the year. I don't think he's ever made a bad film. How excited are you for this as we edge closer to its October release date? John, I love Wes Anderson's movies all the way back to the first feature I saw of his Bottle Rocket. And of course, I don't think he's made, like a lot of people don't love The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou as much as I do, but I I love it. I dig that movie. I mean, the Grand Budapest Hotel and Isle of Dogs, I think, were his last movies. And it seems like I've been waiting to see this movie for two years. I think we might have even talked about the trailer like two years ago. Yeah. And one of the things I didn't know is that this is an anthology movie. It's got different stories within it. And so I, you know, eagerly was awaiting this news and um, uh, to hear that it's being well-received. The Hollywood Reporter says, While the French Dispatch might seem like an anthology of vignettes without a strong overarching theme, every moment is graced by Anderson's love for the written word and the oddball characters who dedicate their professional lives to it. There's a wistful sense of time passing and a lovely ode to the pleasures of travel embedded in the material, along with an appreciation for the history of American foreign correspondents who bring their perceptive outsider gaze to other cultures. The mission of the magazine is summed up thus near the end of the film. Quote, maybe with good luck, we'll find what eluded us in the places we once called home. Well, not only does it sound great, but it sounds like it's the kind of movie we need today. And look, I don't I went back and watched the trailer. I don't know if people even remember the trailer, but uh, I thought it was a great trailer. And watching it again, I'm reminded of how much I've wanted to see this movie. And I, for one, can't wait. What do you think? I, you know, I wasn't big on the trailer, to be honest with you. Now, of course, he's done magnificent films. You listed a bunch of them. Royal Tannenbaums might oh, actually yeah. be my favorite of his, to be honest with you. Um, the only the one I wasn't really big on was Isle of Dogs. I'll be I'll, I'll admit I wasn't a big fan of Isle of Dogs. But aside from that, he does some brilliant work. The trailer came out and I was like, ah, I, eh? I didn't really see. I, honestly, I, I don't. I felt like if Wes Anderson's name wasn't on it, I don't think many people would have talked about that trailer. But now I kind of understand the trailer. Now that we know it's an anthology, so apparently, if I understand it right, it's like the French Dispatch has got a bunch of staff reporters, and it's an anthology in the sense that each of these staff reporters, like Owen Wilson and others, get a little story that they get to tell throughout it. And it actually sounds really interesting. And Rob, you know, we're mentioning the fact that this thing just debuted at Cannes, and it's getting insane reviews. So how insane? Well, right now... It's sitting at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, granted, that's only 16 reviews that have come in for it right now, but these are all like top-notch reviews for the critics covering Khan. 
And it's getting some amazing, amazing feedback from IndieWire, uh, Slant, Playlist, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's just kind of raving about this movie right now and saying it's absolutely fantastic, which is not to be, you know, shouldn't surprise us being that it's Wes Anderson. But I'll tell you this. It's the job of the trailer to get us excited for these movies. The trailer didn't do it for me. Hearing the, reading all the reviews that have been coming out of France on this have been really exciting to read. And now I'm kind of excited to see this thing. Now I'm on board with this thing. And I just hope by the time it comes out, people remember that it's still coming out. Because you're right, Rob, this is a, a movie that's been marketed for a long time. They, they've been talking about this movie for a very long time. Let me ask you this, Rob. As celebrated as Wes Anderson is, he's not a box office, you know, uh, kind of darling sort of things. His movies right. don't make $800 million. How do you think the audience is going to respond to something like The French Dispatch? Do you think people will be going out to see this? Uh, well, no. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I I hate to say it, but look, a movie about jur expat journalists, uh, it, it, it to me, I think people should go out and see this. I unfortunately, I think the glory days of movies like this being able to draw big crowds is kind of past. Um, you know, movie movie making especially has become a, it's become a spectacle. You know, it's it's almost like all movies now that do really well are like arena rock shows. You know, it's like U2 is going to go play the Joshua Tree from beginning to end 30 years after the album came out. And so people go see that because it's a big event. And I feel that some of our, you know, really talented filmmakers have sort of been relegated. People think of Wes Anderson as a as kind of an indie darling. And his movies are they are very quirky indeed, but they're wildly entertaining. Like, you know, I think the Grand Budapest Hotel was a delightful film. And I, you know, maybe in a different era, everybody would have gone to see it. But I think, unfortunately, he's sort of a man out of time. His movies are all beautifully crafted. Um, but I just don't, I don't see this becoming a huge box office draw. But I think he'll make some money. His movies, I don't believe, are that expensive. Although they look sumptuous. But, um, and especially this subject matter, I don't think people going out to see a movie about expat journalists is something that's going to be on the – it doesn't roll off the tip of everyone's tongue. Yeah, I think that's the key. I think his movies make money. I mean, that's that, that's. I mean, they're just not big, huge blockbuster, right? Exactly. You know, box offices. I don't expect French Dispatch is going to make four hundred million at the box office, but I think it'll be profitable because I think there's enough people out there who appreciate his work. Question is for you guys: What do you think about this? I know a number of you guys have been very excited about French Dispatch. We're getting our first look at the reviews now. They are stellar as of right now, hundred percent. We'll see how well that holds once we get like a hundred reviews and things like that. But still. Some of the big trades are giving them big thumbs up right now. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Hannibal Godin, who writes, Good morning, John and Rob. I think one of the most underrated things about WandaVision was the amazing Catherine Hahn and her Agatha character. Just wondering if you saw that Kevin Feige was being interviewed, and when asked about Agatha, Feige confirmed that we would see her back in the MCU very soon. Do you think that means we're getting another WandaVision, or that he's going to use her in other MCU stories? 
Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Hannibal. And yeah, listen, I have been singing the praises of Catherine Hahn for years. Like whenever Catherine Hahn would pop up in something, I'm like, guys, I know most people don't know her name, but this lady's name is Catherine Hahn. Like, remember that that M. Night movie uh, that she did, The Visit, about uh, oh, yeah. you know, the kids going to the old folks? Um, things like that. Obviously, she goes all the way back to things, I'm, I'm sure even earlier, but I first really recognized her in Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Jeremy. She's the one who goes, Ron will read anything on the teleprompter. Anything. And then her role in Step Brothers was awesome. I loved her in that. Then, of course, she was in Parks and Rec as well. She had her own HBO, her little risque HBO show as well. And then I got super stoked when they said she was going to be in WandaVision. And she does. And you can't say she stole the show because Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen were both absolutely magnificent in it. But man, did she bring an excellent level and uh, just another level of stuff to it. Well, apparently, you know, a lot of us have been wondering, when are we going to see her again? They, they clearly didn't kill her in WandaVision. So are we going to see her again? Or is she forever just going to be left in that town, kind of locked in a prisoner in her own mind? Well, Kevin Feige was asked that question, to which Feige said, when are they going to see, when asked, when are we going to see Catherine Hahn again? He said, someday, someday soon, You'll see Catherine Hahn in Knives Out 2 next, then maybe an assortment of other things. But within the MCU, it can't come soon enough. Let's just put it that way, says Kevin Feige. It can't come soon enough. Let's just put... Whenever somebody, Rob, adds in the words, let's just put it that way, Yeah, means there's a whole other meaning behind it. It means there's a whole bunch more underneath the surface of that. So clearly they have more plans for Catherine Hahn. The question then becomes that I think was a very good question they brought up in the email was does the return of Catherine Hahn as Agatha, does that signal that they're going to be doing a second season of WandaVision? Of course, WandaVision is listed under anthology or limited series. So the plan, I guess, is not to do another one. Or do they see, does Kevin Feige look at Agatha as, this is a character we can drop in anything. She can pop up in a Doctor Strange, obviously, but she could also pop up in an Ant-Man. She could pop up in, you know, a She-Hulk. She could pop up something here, there, or anywhere. I mean, the comedic sort of stylings of the character with the history and the background and the power set she has, I think she's multifunctional. So I'm going to say this. I think Kevin Feige is talking about something other than WandaVision again. I don't think he's talking about a WandaVision 2, I think, or a WandaVision season 2. I think he's talking about Catherine Hahn popping up as Agatha in another MCU property. Hell, Rob, even Shang-Chi could be on the table. I mean, that, I mean, she very well could have shot scenes in that that we don't know about. I mean, I, I don't know. Rob, you here, number one, what do you think about her returning to the MCU at all? Do you think it would be for a WandaVision or for something else? And if it's something else, what do you think top contenders could be? Well, she's a sorceress of some kind. She's a magic wielder. So I would think the obvious would be in Multiverse of Madness. I think we'll probably, you got Wanda going over there. You've got Doctor Strange going over there. You got... You've got Mordu coming back who hates sorcerers and mystics and things like that. So maybe they team up. Maybe Agatha Harkness is Mordu's henchwoman. But I, I, I would probably, I would go over 75% we're going to see Agatha Harkness in the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness. Which could, that, I mean, if it was, that could be what Kevin Feige was saying when he says, let's just put it that way. Because obviously yeah. that's a movie that's already shot. They've already yep. shot that movie. So maybe... That's that. Maybe Eternal, like uh, Clay is saying in the live chat, maybe Eternals 
or Matthew is saying maybe she turns out to be the big villain in Loki tonight. I mean, I don't know. I suppose anything's <laughs> on the table. Uh, by the way, our friend Kevin Cow sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that, man. Anyway, guys, I think this is fantastic news. The question is for you. What do you think about this? Did you like the Agatha Harkness character? Do you think she can work outside of a WandaVision property? Could she go out and be in something like, well, obviously Doctor Strange is a very good match, but could she pop up in other things too? Where would you like to see her? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? Rob. What is our third main topic today? Uh, our next, our third topic comes from Robert Tileman. Hey, John and Rob, I woke up this morning to find a trailer for a new Pixar movie I'd never even heard of called <laughs> Turning Red. It looks very Pixar, and that's a good thing. I assume you're going to be excited for it since it looks like it takes place in Canada. What did you think of it? Well, John, I too had never heard of this movie, but I have to say I watched the teaser and I laughed aloud a couple of times. Um, I like that the premise seems particularly Pixar. Um, <laughs> I want to know what's going on. But there's a lot of fun in to be had even in the trailer. And you can tell what the premise of the movie is going to be. And I'm like, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I want to see it. I mean, <laughs> it, it looks perfectly Pixar to me and in every way. And so I totally, I, I watch this. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Uh, Turning Red introduces us to Mai, is it Mai? A young girl in school who, when she realizes her mother has followed her and is spying on her for some reason, gets so stressed out that it causes her to transform into a giant red panda. Well, that would be weird and terrifying enough, except in this case, the red panda also looks to be about, be about five times her size. Hey, man, uh, I, I thought it was funny when she turned into the panda, and but even funnier was the the exchange between her and her classmate and it's her classmate who sends her a note and says look your mom's outside and <laughs> so like good. her mother who looks like she's chinese gets involved in like a, a sikh uh father who's a sikh and they're having some argument school security outside. school security school security i mean it it uh it's hilarious and um because if you know i and like canada large sikh population a large chinese population and i just thought it was i thought the whole thing was funny and i thought it was delightful and uh when she turn, turns into that giant super panda, I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. It looked good to me. What about you? I, I mean, there's something, a couple of interesting things about this is that, remember that Pixar short that came out a couple of years ago, Bow? With the, oh, yeah. uh, I think, say it's this, it's the, uh, the, the girl who directed that is now directed this, which is great because Bao was also, you know, Asian themed, also takes place in Canada. That to me is a big thing. It takes place in Canada because the filmmaker, the director, she's also Canadian, which is great. So this clearly takes place in Toronto because as, you know, the giant pandas run across the rooftops, you see the CN Tower in the background, which is great. Yep. Uh, this looked adorable. This looked absolutely adorable. I, I thought this was wonderful and fantastic. And what's really cool, by the way, Sandra Oh is doing the voice of the mom. Which is just too perfect. So oh, I'm in. You know what this reminded me of, Rob? Remember in I this was done a little bit better in Spider-Man uh into the multiverse, but that scene where uh Miles gets dropped off by his dad at school and his dad gets on the scanner, uh say, I love you, dad. And she's like in front of all his classmates. When she looks over 
and sees that her mom is outside and the just overwhelmed with embarrassment and shame and just wants to hide. And she's got the Canadian shirt on and all that kind of stuff. This is wonderful. Now, look, here's the thing. This movie is not about a little girl that turns into a giant panda. Any more than, I don't know, what than Coco was not about a little boy who plays guitar. That's not what Coco was about. You know, any more than, you know, a, a lot of these Pixar movies, the themes always go way beyond what that instant setup looks like. Because when you, you know, you look at Coco, it's not about a little boy who plays guitar. It, it's about family and history and, and appreciating the older generations of our family while they're still here and when they're gone. And that's why Pixar is so magical. This movie is clearly going to be about a relationship between a mother and a, and, and a daughter and probably something very complex and something very, you know, complicated and probably something very funny. And the veneer of it is going to be that the little girl also happens to change into a giant panda. If you go back to bow as well, Rob, if you go back to that short film bow, the whole thing was you find out by the end of the short that the whole thing was an analogy about the changing relationship between the mom and the son as he grows up and becomes an adult. That's yep. what Pixar does. And that's what makes Pixar so magical. And so when I'm watching this trailer, understanding that, um, to me, it just looked like absolute pure magic. I think it's going to be wonderful. This has, uh, it has that same feel. It, it Like they say in the uh, email that they sent in themselves, this just feels Pixarian. This just feels like classic Pixar to me. And I, for one, cannot wait to see this. Question is for you guys. Did you have a chance to watch the trailer for Turning Red? I thought it was wonderful. It doesn't come out till 2022, so we still got a bit of a wait, which just, to me makes me wonder why did they put out this trailer? But it was probably just a trailer to say, hey, guys, just so you know, because everybody's saying they never even heard of this. So this is Jim just dropping something, say, hey, just, just so you know, we've got this movie coming and it's coming in early 2022. That's probably what's there. What did you guys think of it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic gets submitted to us by VJD, who writes, Hey, John. I have loved the Loki show on Disney Plus right from the first moment. I know there are a couple of episodes you didn't enjoy that much, but I loved every single one. Well, that's awesome, man. So later tonight at midnight, I live in Victoria, BC, which is, you know, Pacific time, which is where we live as well in Los Angeles. The final episode comes out. I wanted to know your final predictions about who is the big bad guy we are going to meet tonight all right thanks a lot for sending that in man appreciate that and yes tonight it's game day tonight we of course have the finale of loki uh that's going to be tonight and don't forget guys being that it's the final episode of loki tonight that today is of course game day so tonight at 4 p.m this afternoon 4 p.m los angeles time we will of course be doing our pre-game show for loki the final one last one that we've got to do it's going to be tonight 4 p.m come on back and join us for that uh we hope to see you guys there but that's the last thing we're going to do for the last time, the last pregame show for Loki, the finale is tonight. And Rob, it comes to, there are a number of big questions 
There are a number of big questions still floating around out there that need to get answered. Absolutely. But the main one, the main one that we'll address right now, we'll talk about all the other questions later on the pregame show. But the main one tonight is who is ultimately going to be the big bad? Now, it should be mentioned that it could be something, something and somebody that none of us have heard of. Could be somebody or someone that we have never heard of. But I think we all acknowledge that the two prime candidates for it, the two main guys that it probably looks like it could be, are going to be either Kang or another Loki variant. Kang or another Loki variant. So understanding that it could be a third option and it could be somebody else entirely, we understand that. I wanted to take a last look at some of the pros and cons going towards arguments that it's going to be Kang tonight and arguments that it's going to be another Loki variant. Let's start with Kang. Uh, Pros for Kang. All right. First up, he's a time travel character. Uh, If I can spell right. He's a time travel character. The whole One of the basic mechanics of this whole show has been the issue of time and time travel and the importance of multiple dimensions within time travel and all that kind of stuff. That is very much associated with the Kang character. Secondly, I think I'm misspelling Ravona, but Ravona Rensselaer. Ravona is a directly connected to Kang character in the Marvel comics. Now, understand the comics are the comics, the movies are the movies, so it doesn't mean that makes it automatic. But... It is something to take into consideration. That Ravona is a character that's directly tied to Kang, and Ravona has been a primary p- character here. So there's that. Aliath, the giant smoke creature that we saw in the last episode, is again another character that in the comics has direct connection to Kang the Conqueror. So that is yet another one. Kang. John, why'd you put a Q? Because if you remember in the last episode, as the cameras was sweeping through the destroyed New York City in the void, we see Avengers Tower, but instead of Avengers, it's written Q-E-N-G. If you know the comic background on that, that that's when Kang actually took over Avengers Tower through his dummy corporation, blah, blah, blah. That was yet another direct connection to Kang the Conqueror. Also, I say Ant-Man because we know that Kang the Conqueror is coming into the MCU. It's Jonathan Majors, of course, from Lovecraft Country. He's just got nominated for Best Actor. Good on him. But so we know that Kang is coming. So it wouldn't be like it would be an out-of-nowhere sort of appearance. It wouldn't be like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just shows up. When you break these down, this reminds me a lot of Agatha Harkness. When you go back to WandaVision, And you look at the different things. A lot of people early on in WandaVision started connecting to all these little dots that clearly made it show that Catherine Hahn was going to be Agatha. I didn't think it was going to be Agatha because I thought they were making it too bloody obvious it was going to be Agatha. Turns out, you know, what I was not considering properly was, oh, it's obvious to the 5% of us who are watching the show that know who Agatha is. 95% of the people watching the show had no idea, never heard of her. So it made a more thing. But, you know, everything from the brooch to the witch's costume to all these t- sorts of things, people would say, John, they're clearly telling us that it's going to be Agatha. And it wasn't until the very end when they said she was Agatha that I finally had to concede to it. So there's that. And this feels a lot like that as far as it goes to Kang. That being said, 
let's look at the pros for Loki variant, okay? Number one, this show is about Loki. I mean, Loki is not only himself, not only our Tom Hiddleston Loki, but Loki, Loki, what would be the plural? The Loki? I guess it would be Loki. Maybe the Loki. The Loki, which sounds like a uh, Star Trek alien species. The Loki, you know, the show is about them. This is who the show is about. So there is an appropriateness to having a Loki variant ultimately be the villain. Loki himself is our main hero. His main sidekick throughout the story is Sylvie, another Loki. He has been running into other Lokis all over the place. There is something to be said about being it there. Also, the theme of Loki has been his battle with himself. The very themes of Loki has been Loki coming to grips with the darker sides of his character. Whether it's in episode one saying, it's an illusion, it's a mirage, control and power, it's a, it's a mirage created by the weak. And he was talking about himself. Or moving fast forward to the last episode when he's talking to Sylvie and he comes to another moment of self-realization. He says, I have betrayed everyone that's ever loved me from my brother to my father. He goes on and on. This whole show has really been a deconstruction of the Loki character identifying himself, recognizing the darker parts of himself and wanting to be something better for him to, for it to come down to be a final battle between himself, you know, the Loki he is becoming versus the Loki that he would fear himself being, you know, sitting on the throne in that castle in the void. That that's a strong argument. So you look at these two things. I mean, I don't have as many points for Loki, but these are true, very strong things. This show has been about Loki and that thematically it has been about Loki's battle with himself. And so that kind of points a finger to maybe it being Loki. Uh, Rob, one more thing I'll put under the Kang thing is the void castle, which is also something we see at the end of the last episode, which in the comics, at least is also directly connected to Kang or a variation of Kang, I should say. Um, so I think there are strong arguments to be made here. I, I am still Rob. I'm not quite at 80% like I was before. Cause I was at 80% that it was going to be Kang. I was at like a 33%. Then I was at 80%. I am dropping down to 65%. I am leaning still towards it being Kang. There's a lot of arguments against it. Some great arguments pro Loki. I think there's a solid 30 to 35% chance that it's going to be a Loki variant. But as of right now, Rob, I'm leaning towards it being Kang. Rob, it's your last chance. We are T minus. What are we away here now? 11 (laughs) hours and 20 minutes. We are 11 hours and 20 minutes away from the finale of Loki. Big question. What do you see as the pros and the cons for either Kang or Loki? Or is there a third one? And and which way are you leaning right now? Okay, I've I've got two thoughts about this. I think we are going to meet a Loki variant that is president of the universe that's sitting in Chronopolis and they're going to, it's going to play out. It's going to, it's going to finish out whatever the Loki story is. And, and Loki is going to confront himself and learn some great truth. And, uh, it's all going to play out that way. And we're going to learn something. However, and, and the main story between Loki and Sylvie will brought be brought to a, a satisfying conclusion. 
then at whatever shenanigans happen, our president Loki, we're gonna we're gonna have a post credit scene, and our Loki is going to be obliterated. The whoever the president of Chronopolis is, that Loki variant that we're going to meet tonight is going to be destroyed, and the the final thing that happens is Kang is revealed. So you're kind of going of a the answer is both in a way. Yes. Sort of yes. thing. Yes, and it's going to be it's going to be a riff on the Thanos moment where well, if you need something done, you got to do it yourself. When he puts his hand in and gets the Infinity Gauntlet. Right. What was that Guardians of the Galaxy? I think they're going to do that again. All right, okay, let me ask you this though. The one thing we were obviously glancing over cuz I I've been saying this whole time there are the, the three main possibilities are Kang, Loki, somebody else entirely. So we're obviously sitting here focusing our attentions on the Kang or Loki, but what are the chances that maybe it's somebody else? Like, I'm not saying they're going to get in there and Mephisto is going to be sitting on the throne or Red Skull or anything, but but what are the chances, honestly, that it could be somebody else? And if it was going to be somebody else, theoretically speaking, who do you think that could possibly be? So chances in general and anything specific. I, I really don't think it can be anyone else because, like you pointed out, the show is about Loki, you know, and it's 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 about him him coming to grips with certain aspects of himself that he didn't come to grips with in the MCU. So we're gonna. I, I you have to finish that story, and I think by adding another character, like a quote unquote big bad, that isn't Loki, you sort of you take away from the story that we've been watching over the last six episodes. So I don't think, I, I mean, everything points to, as you pointed out, it's all Kang centric. Everything we've seen Chronopolis here, if they're going to call it that Alioth, uh, Renslayer, all of these characters in the comics surround Kang. And they, they've always looked to the comics, uh, for inspiration, what to do with the movies and now the shows. So, I mean, obviously I think the obvious choice would be to go with Kang. But they haven't – there's not even an inkling of who Kang is yet for, like you said, viewers who haven't been reading the comics. They just don't know. So to add in a whole other character in the last episode, unless it's an hour and a half and we don't know, um, I think it can only be Kang or a Loki variant. I don't think they could add anyone else because that would sort of be a, a betrayal of for the audience. Like, you'd be like, wait, who, who is this person? And then even the people that are familiar with the comics are going to be like, wait, that this isn't what they've been setting up. So I think it's got to be, I think it's going to be both. I think they're going to go with the Loki variant and Kang at the end. Well, guys, the question is for you. I mean, it's, it's, it's it. We're down now. We're worth it. We're less than 11 hours away. It is of course game day for Loki. The finale is tonight. What are you guys thinking? Are you leaning Kang? Are you leaning Loki? Or are you leaning somebody else? Maybe it's Miss Minutes. Maybe it's the guy with the uh, Infinity Stone paperweights who didn't know what a fish was. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's Odin. Maybe it's an Odin variant sitting on the throne when he gets in there. I don't know, a lot of possibilities. I still think it's probably Kang or Loki variant. Which way are you guys leaning? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. 
With that down, let's now spend the rest of our show today taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, simply use the tip link that's it down in the description of this video. You can click on it there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You're getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you're supporting our channel at the same time and all of us involved here at the show. Thank you guys so much for that support. All right. Let's not waste any more time and dive right into it. We're going to start taking things from Rated Row. And Rated Row writes, as soon as I get it up here properly, um, if the comics are the comics and the movies are the movies, what would be the issue in altering Magneto's powers to have him age slowly to keep his original backstory? If the story was written good, I believe it would work. What are your thoughts? Okay, so here's the thing. What Rated Row is talking about is the fact that if you're going to do Magneto today, you can't have him coming out of the concentration camps in World War II because that would just make him too old now. We're, we're, we're 20 plus years past the last X-Men movie the, or the first X-Men movie, Rob. I mean, it's just too old. You need to come up with something else. Yes, the comics are the comics, the movies are the movies, but you want to keep the core main DNA of what the character is. Magneto's power is not that he ages slowly. Magneto, it's in his name, Rob. It's in his name is Magneto, not Magneto age slowly guy. His, he's, he's the master of magnetism. And listen, the key of, of, of his background is not that it was World War II. That's not the key thing to his background. The key thing to his background was he lived through something as a child that showed and exposed him to the absolute worst in humanity. And you can do that with other events, a little bit more contemporary events. You know, the genocide in Rwanda, a lot of things in Central Europe. I mean, there's been a lot of different things that would, if a young man was exposed to that, would make him lose all faith in humanity. That is the key thing. It's not that it was World War II. That's not the important part. The important part was that he was exposed to the depths of evil that mankind can be, and it turned him against humanity. And you can do that. And you don't have to make up new powers for Magneto at the same time. His name is Magneto. But I, I don't know, Rob, what, what do you think about that? Well, like, if you were in charge over there, I don't know. Maybe you would. Like, would you just write into it that he also has a, a mutant power that also makes him age slowly so you can keep the World War II thing? Or I don't know. How do you handle it if you're in charge over there? Uh, well, one, I'd have to dispense with the World War II idea. It just doesn't work. And if if you're going to bring I, I think if you're going to bring the X-Men in, you're going to have to say, as with the Eternals, that they've always been here. They just haven't revealed themselves to the general public yet there there is they're not common knowledge they've been in hiding now that's not to say that they haven't been around that they haven't been active it's just we don't know how they've been active and it's going to be creative and clever and and whatever they do i mean maybe you know maybe magneto let's say you made magneto black and and he was a child when martin luther king uh was assassinated you know or something like that there's many, there's many historical elements. I mean, they did a really good job on the show Evil uh, about, about dealing with the ramifications of the Tutsi and the, the Hutus yeah. and what happened in Africa then. So there's different ways to go about it. I mean, maybe not as obviously resonant as, say, the Holocaust, but I still think that that could happen. I, I think making Magneto 
ancient, like you said, that 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 changes his powers. And I can understand why people want to keep it that way, but they're going to have to update these characters and make them new and make them a part of the MCU. They're going to they're going to have to be. Uh, I think they're going to have to do it a different way. I don't know what that way is going to be, but you know we've seen the X Men. They've aged them up and introduced them and reintroduced them over and over again. So there's no reason to say they can't figure out an interesting way to uh, to bring them back. But I think that that we're going to see them enter the MCU in the modern day, and the characters are going to have new backstories. All right, let's move on. Next up, we've got Dangerous D who writes, Hey, John, I just thought of a great slogan for HBO Max. All right, hit me. I think it's comparable to Netflix and chill. Are you ready for this? HBO Max, just Max and relax. Or how about relax with Max? What do you think? If they love it, remember, I thought of it first. Uh, I, I Listen, I'm not going to lie. Max and relax has a nice ring to it. I dig that. I'm I'm down for Max and Relax Changers D. We just put it out there into the uh, intersphere right there. So who knows? Maybe you'll see it used in some marketing slogan sometime. All right. Movie Pastor writes, after the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, the best-selling fantasy series of all time is the Epic Wheel of Time. Amazon has already greenlit season two. It has a 2021 release date, but still no trailer. Have you heard anything or are you interested? You know what, Rob? I'm going to, I, I didn't enjoy it that much. I didn't think it was that great. I kind of fell off it after about four episodes. I found it rather boring. Uh, I, 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 I didn't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I didn't hate it. It just didn't do enough for me to keep me hooked and on board with it. So I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. I've disconnected myself from thinking about it. or So I don't know when season two is going to come out. I, honestly, I kind of tapped out on it. Rob, did you finish out season one? Are you looking forward to it? Did you get a chance to watch it all? What are your thoughts? I haven't watched it all. Um, uh, it's all right. It's it's. I don't love it. But um, as far as season, I just haven't been paying attention. There's there's so many there's so many things that 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 are going on that I love. So, but I I don't I I don't know much about. Is there a season two? Yeah, is yeah, it coming? They, yeah. They said they're doing the season two, but honestly, uh, beyond that, I don't know anything else about it. Unfortunately, I, I don't either. But if we hear anything, we will let you know, movie pastor. All right, next up, we've got Diego who writes, not sure if you saw the recent interview with Kevin Feige gave to Rotten Tomatoes. We were just talking about that a little bit earlier. But Kevin stated that his team has been working on the Shang-Chi film for 10 to 15 years. That really blew my mind. Makes me wonder what's going to be coming 10 years from now. Yeah, but, but, but you also got to keep in mind that he's not literally saying that five days a week, me and a team of writers got together for two hours every day for 10 to 15 years trying to crack the Shang-Chi code. That could literally mean that 10 to 15 years ago, I had a discussion about it. Six months later, we sat down and talked about it a little bit more again. We put it on the shelf. A year or two later, we talked about I mean, so don't take that as him saying they have literally been sitting down hard at work at Shang-Chi for 10 to 15 years, but it means he's been thinking about it for a long time. And you're right, Diego, it makes you wonder, what's he thinking about today that we may be getting five, 10, 15 years down the line? It's something to keep in mind. All right, next up, Soul Brother Mark writes, or Mac writes, one of five. Okay, here we go. 
Hey, John, and whoever may be there, it's Rob with us here today. I saw your Monday movie talk and heard Rob's explanation as to why he thinks it's not Kang pulling the strings. And I actually agree. I think the main villain uh, of the series has to be an even darker Loki variant. Kang wouldn't make sense because on a personal and emotional level, he, would, he wouldn't the kind of antagonist for Loki to break free from a villain into the hero he's meant to be. Well, that's just not true. Uh, that's just not true. They, they could easily write it that way if they wanted to. At any rate, uh, I'm sure Loki will simply strive to obtain what Kang already has for himself. Uh, Dark Loki, on the other hand, can show our Loki what happens if he strives for ultimate power and how it corrupts. This could have a much more personal and emotional effect that could cause our Loki to grow. La that could cause our Loki to grow. Lastly, remember what Mobius said. Loki was born to cause pain, suffering and death all so that others can achieve the best versions of themselves. I don't think that was a throwaway line. I believe Loki will achieve redemption, growth, and become a better version of himself. If it's a darker Loki variant behind the TVA, what do you think? And bring on the filthy PS. I might be under anonymous for two or five. Well, yeah, don't worry, Mark. We got what you were there. No, listen, we were making the arguments a little bit earlier that, look, this is a show about Loki about Loki thematically battling himself, overcoming the darker parts of himself. But I also all the things that you mentioned there that could be benefits to our hero Loki, if it was a darker Loki, I think it completely applies if it was a Kang as well. It needs to be something that any other character that makes Loki look at himself, whether that's literally another copy of himself, or whether it's a Kang, or whether it's a Mephisto, or whether it's anybody you want to mention. So I think that can, narratively, that can still be accomplished fairly easily. Remember, in The Wizard of Oz, the wizard, the man behind the curtain wasn't revealed until there was five minutes left in the movie. I mean, so, I mean, just, I'm just saying, keep that in mind. So they could very well go that way, but I think you were just reflecting a lot of things that we were just talking about, about that there are strong arguments for it being a Loki variant, maybe even a very, very dark Loki. So that's definitely one of the things. Rob, if you had to say, the one main argument for why it would be a Loki variant, what would you say that one main argument would be? Well, because it's really about Loki dealing, coming to grips with himself, you know, and he's already seen different aspects of Loki's from different realities, but he hasn't really seen himself yet. We've talked a lot about, well, you know, he's Sylvie. It's like being with himself, but it really isn't. He hasn't seen, he's seen different incarnations of himself that he doesn't really recognize. But I think what he's going to see tonight is the final realization of what he's always wanted to become or what he thinks he's wanted to become. He's going to see the ultimate Loki who rules all of time and space, the ultimate incarnation of what he ever hoped to be. And he's going to realize well, that guy's kind of an a-hole and I don't want to be that anymore. <laughs> and I, and I think that that's, that's going to be the realization that he's going to have tonight, that all of his ambitions about what he thought he wanted are wrong and he's going to have learned something, but that's not to say, I think he's going to change his plans and come up with something new, something he realizes is better and something that's going to set him on the path of establishing him once again as a truly formidable antagonist for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All right, next up. Thanks for that in soul, brother. Next up, Off Topic writes, Justice Society of America be Black the Rock epic. I have no idea what that means. 
Should be epic. Uh, can't wait to see set photos of costumes, especially Dr. Fate. Now, of course, in Black Adam coming up for Dwayne The Rock Johnson, they announced way back at DC Fandom that uh, the JSA was going to be a part of it. Especially Dr. Fate. Only wish OG Sandman was in it with his gas mask that looks like the alien faces from They Live. Uh, who is your favorite JSA member or old school look? Well, I mean, look, the Dr. Fate look is iconic. I love I mean, I, what movie was it again, Rob, where... They, it might have been one of the episodes of a show where like, they're in a room and the camera pans and you just see the Dr. Fate helmet sitting on a table. It's like, oh, I just that was great. Honestly, I love the classic Hawkman look. I do. I, I still, and he was one of the founding members too, of the man. JSA. I, so for me, it's Hawkman. I don't know. What would you say is your favorite look of like old classic JSA? Well, I'm a huge, huge, huge Dr. Fate fan. The, Ken, the classic Ken Nelson Dr. Fate from way back. So I'd really like to see that happen. But like you, I love classic Hawkman. I love the classic Justice Society of America characters because I grew up reading those comics. I mean, I love like Dr. Midnight and Our Man. I mean, I love yeah. all those characters. All right. Next up, we've got Mark 2021 who writes, so, John, I know you're not a big so uh, big football fan, which is we call it soccer here, uh, but I'm wondering if you watched the Euros fi uh, final to see Italy win. I was backing Italy in the final, watching hashtag it's coming to Rome. It's coming to Rome. Um, yes, I did, but I could only watch the first half of the game because then we had our Black Widow open spoiler discussion that we did live. So I had to just keep my eye on ESPN's website that was constantly refreshing on one of my monitors as we were doing the show. And, you know, when because I was, oh, God, Ann and I went out to a restaurant to watch, to have something to eat together and to watch a bit of the game. And, like, England scored two minutes into it. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. But then they tied it up, went to penalties. I hate, that's one of the things I hate about soccer. You should never go to penalties in a major tournament. It, you should play until the game is done. But whatever, Italy won, so I was very happy about that. All right, next up, we got Stargazer who writes, uh, hey, John. I saw Black Widow. Could we see Valentina from Falcon the Winter Soldier and her team versus Milena and her Black Widow and Red Guardian in the future? If not, uh, if not, it would make a good movie slash TV series. Also, Rachel Weiss uh, can't be 51 years old. Wow, she looks great. I mean, Rachel Weiss always looks great. Um, No, I... I do not like I see them reusing Red Guardian again in the future. I obviously they've got plans for using Valentina and things like that. And Yelena is obviously going to be a part of that. But I don't see them making a show where it's B side characters versus B side characters. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm making sense there. I, I don't know if, if I'm saying that clearly. So no, I don't foresee them doing a TV show of a movie of Valentina and her team versus Yelena and you know the other Red Room girls and Red Guardian. I, I don't see that happening, but I definitely see them using all these characters moving forward. I know, Rob, what do you think? Do you think we could see a Valentina versus Yelena show? Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to see that before they... I mean, I would... I, I think they're both going to be in Hawkeye. And, well, I mean, Elena, obviously, right? She's, But I think we're going to see Valentina, too, because she's pitted. I mean, I can't wait to see the moment when Hop, Hawkeye explains, oh, you think I killed her? Well, see, we're on this planet, Vormir, and we met the Red Skull, and we had to get the Soul Stone, and one of us had to sacrifice our lives. Elena's going to be like, wait, what? 
you know, you did what? <laughs> how did she die? And how that's going to go. She's going to be like, I don't believe a word you just said. And he'll say it's true. And then they're going to have an epic battle. All right. Next up. We've got Paul Drummer who writes, big fan since the AMC days. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. I love the Austin Powers trilogy. So do I, man. Uh, I admit I'm biased as I grew up on them, but do you think there's an argument for these films to be amongst the best comedy trilogies there is? I love how they embrace the silliness. Well, I I mean, maybe, but, but here's the thing. How, how many comedy trilogies are there that could actually vie for that? I mean, yeah, you got a comedy trilogy like the Hangover trilogy, but despite the first one being brilliant, the other two are completely forgettable. Um, so what else would be up there? So, Rob, in the absence of any other contenders in my mind, yes, the Austin Powers three films would have to be considered amongst the greatest comedy trilogies of all time. But I, other than the hangover off the top of my head, I can't think of really many others. Can you off the top or you guys in the live chat? Some are saying naked gun trilogy. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the pink Panther, but there's more than three. Oh yeah. The but pink you, Panther you can limit it to the pink Panther. Some people are saying, uh, American pie. I actually thought they, I didn't think they were any good after the first one, to be honest with you, but that's just me. Um, yeah, so sure. I mean, some somebody's mentioning in the um, uh, who is saying it? CSCH is saying in the live chat the Cornetto trilogy. Mm, it's not really a trilogy. I, I it doesn't. I know that you know Simon Pegg and you know the rest of them, they call it the Cornetto trilogy, but they're not really connected in any way. So they just kind of call it that. So I wouldn't consider it that. So yeah, I would say Austin Powers has to be considered one of the greatest comedy trilogies of all time. All right, next up. We've got um, Min Tran who writes, I went with my friend to go see Black Widow. We joke about how it's like Fast and Furious, not F9, mixed with Winter Soldier. We both agree, though, that we may have liked it better had it come out between Civil War and Infinity War. And yeah, you know what? I I have to agree with that. And look, exact same movie, no ch- changes. I just feel like the movie would have felt better or felt a little more complete in and of itself had it actually come out in the timeline rob where it happens like if it actually came out in between civil war and infinity war and it was the exact same movie i just feel like it would have landed a little better like i still i like the movie i think it's quite good not not amongst the best of the mcu but i thought it was still quite good but I just think it would have felt a little bit more natural had it actually come out the right time. I, I And in watching it, other than the post credit scene, there was really no reason not to do this movie and have it come out between Civil War and Infinity War. So this was probably an afterthought. It was probably not even something they really thought that they could do uh, until, I don't know, maybe they saw that Wonder Woman did well. I, I don't know. Rob, do you think this movie would have been even better received if it came out chronologically? And why do you think they decided to do it this way? I think probably it it would have been, but I think at the time they still might have been gun shy because they still might have been worried that a Black Widow movie wouldn't wouldn't sustain that. Uh, you know, I think Wonder Woman, uh, the first Wonder Woman, proved that a female led superhero film could work, and then of course Captain Marvel made over a billion dollars, and they realized they'd made a mistake. You know, and they went back and they. They figured out a way they could make this movie. I mean, Captain Marvel is a takes place in the 90s. So I think going back and doing this film the way they did it um, was uh, was 
you know, I think it's another course correction, which is, I think, a good thing that they were able to go back and do this. I like it. And it, they could make another one in the same time period if they wanted to. Yep, they could. All right, next up, we got Biggs who writes, it probably hasn't been brought up much on this show. I finally went back to the theater tonight since uh, uh, tonight since Uncut Gems, I think. I saw Zola. Wow. Uh, that film is hysterical, only 90 minutes, and the perfect uh, welcome back home, also pretty filthy in the best ways. I have not seen Zola, but if, if it's the film I'm thinking of, it's an A24 film about a couple of weird girls that decide to go and be strippers and it just looks like chaos. The trailer just looked like utter chaos. And I, the banter between the two main female characters was hilarious. I, so I have not seen this, but I did see the trailer. I think it looks fantastic. So I am very much down for seeing it. Rob, have you seen anything on this? Have you ever heard of Zola or have you seen the trailer for it or anything? I don't think I have. You should check it out. It's actually really good. If you guys, when this show is done, you should go and look up the Zola trailer. Um, not to be confused with, you know, Hydra Zola. Uh, this is totally different, but you should go check it out. It's actually really, really good. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Go Leafs Go, who writes, you guys make this the best show on YouTube. Oh, thank you, Go Leafs Go. I appreciate that, man. It's always nice when somebody wants to write and just say something encouraging. Thank you for that. All right. Toss my salad with ranch writes, John, I'm sorry if my alternate version of myself was Sophia DiMartino and she was down. Oh, you know, I'm going heels to Jesus. Bonus points if you know what that reference. That's um, 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 uh, Woody Harrelson says that. Which movie did Woody Harrelson say that in? Woody Harrelson says the line heals to Jesus. It's the one with the zombies. Zombieland? Yeah, 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 Zombieland. It was Zombieland that he says that in. Uh, again, to me, it just seems gross. The idea of Loki having a romantic, you know, bumping uglies with a version of himself. I don't know. To me, it still seems gross. <laughs> I can't get past that. That's just me. All right. Gavin Talks TV writes. John, I have that He-Man, what if, in Invincible. Uh, I love that, I should say. John, I love that He-Man, what if, and Invincible are all showing uh, different yet gorgeous animation styles. I was wondering what your thoughts are on the new types of animation that are being produced. I haven't seen something uh, fresh, not CGI on TV since Batman the Animated Series. Listen, I'm not going to lie. Rob, I, I can't remember if you and I have talked about this or not, so I don't know what you think. I'm not going to lie. As much as I love Invincible, to me, it looks like very, very low budget animation. Like, like you can see yeah. when like characters are moving and nothing is articulating, like something is moving through and nothing's articulating and like kind of like that Spider-Man meme with the arm going and stuff like that. I love the show. The show's amazing. But I actually think they were able to make it for fairly inexpensive because it's a fairly cheap animation style. Far better than I'll ever be able to do in my lifetime, for sure. But not uh, not great. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, to to be honest with you, Rob, I don't. When I look at animation styles today, I don't see anything particularly great on TV. Obviously, in the in the movies where they obviously put a lot more time, energy, effort, finances, resources, all that kind of stuff. Yes, but. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these shows look like they're really interesting, but I don't see anything in the animation style itself that gets me all that excited. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I'm a little biased because uh, having worked on Dota Dragon's Blood, 
I've I've really enjoyed what Studio Mir has done within the the confines of of their mandate, which is you know an anime esque show. I think their go- backgrounds are gorgeous and things like that. But I I I think that look, television animation uh, has to cost a lot less than say Pixar or Disney two D animation because animation is very expensive to produce. It's very labor intensive, and um, it has to be done on 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 a budget. So there's no way that television animation's ever going to be as comparable to to what we see on the big screen because it can't be. And so I think that it has to be more story driven in its approach. Yes. Um but 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 that said, I think there's still a lot of great animation being done. Um uh and and like yeah, I think an, another thing about Invincible, one of the things that because it they've gone for a more realistic look more of a, I don't know, uh, you can't say photo real with animation, but more of a traditional humans look. It's not like anime, which can be exaggerated, but they're trying to make it look like it's more quote unquote real world that that style, uh, has to look a certain way. They can't make it look as lush as they might want it to, but I think it serves the story. I think it's the right animation for the story. And I think the new He-Man series looks pretty cool. The and animation see, looks pretty dope. See, that's the key thing. The key thing is it, the animation style doesn't need to be movie level. It it needs to be there to serve. If, if it is there and if it facilitates the story being told, perfect. And even though I didn't think this the animation style in you know, Invincible is all that great, it helped tell the story. It told the story. That's all it needs to do. And as long as it does that, you know, then you look at animation styles like Castlevania and things like that. But it just really works for the story. And as long as it does that, that's all you need, man. It's perfect. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Ike Perlmutter, CEO, writes, uh, I liked Black Widow. Many scenes are unbelievable, like the rooftop scene when Natasha falls and hits multiple platforms uh, before she lands on her feet unfazed. Your thoughts on Black Widow having the biggest MCU second day drop ever with over 40%. Well, there's two things to that. Number one, it wasn't that wasn't unbelievable. Like, this is the thing. Some people try to c- compare like what happens in, in Black Widow with like happens in Fast 9. Not true. See, Black Widow is more like what would happen in Fast 5 and Fast 6. Things that were highly improbable, <laughs> but had enough, just barely enough possibility or plausibility that it could happen. Like that scene about a Natasha falling that distance, if she wasn't hitting things as she was falling down, there's no way she survives that. But because you you pick up in free fall till you hit what's called terminal velocity, and she would just die. Her actually hitting things as she's falling down makes it very improbable she wouldn't reach the ground either dead or paraplegic or something along those lines. But it's also plausible because those things were slowing her descent as she was hitting in very much a fast five or a fast six kind of way. It becomes at least a little bit plausible. Therefore, it can work. Unlike, say, something like Fast 9 where they just threw it all out the window and nothing is even remotely plausible. As far as the the big drop, we discussed that the other day or last week when Black Widow came out and doubled the opening night uh, uh, results of Fast 9. 
we discussed that. We said, listen, this does not mean Black Widow is going to double the opening weekend of Fast 9 at all. All this is telling us is that everybody was waiting to get out that first night and see Black Widow first. This does not mean that the opening weekend of Black Widow is going to double that of Fast 9. So really, it's more commentary. Because remember, this isn't a second weekend drop-off of 40%. This was just... From opening night to that, this is really more of a commentary on how big of an opening night it had. That's what it really is a commentary on. All right, next up, we got uh, Jose Salazar writes, Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Are there any characters that you would like to see make their debut in the MCU that haven't been teased yet? I myself would like to see the likes of Ghost Rider. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like the Ghost Rider character. I'm not a fan of Ghost Rider. And I had a couple of buddies of mine make the second Ghost Rider movie, and I couldn't even pretend to be interested in Ghost Rider. I mean, I was interested that they were making the movie, but I couldn't even be pretend like I was all that interested in Ghost Rider. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and Namor and perhaps Silver Surfer. I, I will, I've said this for a long time, Rob. Bishop. Now, you can say Bishop's been shown in the Fox X-Men movies. Yeah, but there has never been a story about Bishop. Bishop, to me, is an absolutely fascinating character, Rob. And yep. if, if, Honestly, if Feige gave me a call and said, "Hey, John, I'm feeling generous today. You name a character, we'll we'll do a story based on that character." I'm going Bishop. I, I definitely I've been saying that for years. Uh, so that's mine, Rob. If you've got a character they haven't teased yet or shown in the MCU, who would you like to see? Well, Bishop's a good one. Um, <sighs> it's going to seem wacky, but I would love to see long shot and mojo and spiral oh, wow. the whole mojo verse yeah i i really loved long shot um as a mutant character but but mojo as a villain i always liked so <laughs> yeah but that's right. villain but right. i would like to see long shot too uh let's move on here next up we got the wakandan forever who writes uh, it's so important that I have to write in again. Summer of Soul. No exaggeration. The best music documentary I've ever seen. Uh, Rob plans to watch it. Mandatory viewing for all Wakandans. John, you have you have been granted honorary Wakandan status. Everyone go see it. I'll tell you what. I remember first seeing the um, the previews for Summer of Soul. So I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I do want to watch. sit down and watch because the whole idea behind it seems amazing. And the fact that something that significant happened. And, you know, everybody knows Woodstock. But hardly anybody talks about this. And it had everybody at it. So I have not seen it yet myself, but I am absolutely planning on seeing it. And I can't wait, Wakanda Forever. Thanks for putting that on everybody's radar. All right, next up, Willow writes, I've only seen about two seasons of The Sopranos, but I really like the Many Saints of Newark trailer. I love Nancy uh, Marchand's uh, uh, Livia Soprano, and I can't wait to see Vera Farmiga's take on the character. Do you have a favorite evil on-screen mother? Ooh, that's a... Damn. Evil on-screen mother. Oh, I've got one. I, it, it's, see, I, I'm sure there's a thousand of them, but I don't just carry that list around off the top of my head. Go with yours, Rob. What's the one you're thinking of? The greatest evil, well, there's two, but number one has to be Angela Lansbury in the original The Manchurian Candidate. Oh, right. And then the second one has to be Faye Dunaway's Mommy Dearest. <laughs> that That's a great one, too. Um, throw Mama from the train. <laughs> she was terrible. Um, I, Man, that's a great topic. Willow. It's a great topic, but I, I just not walk around. Let me see what some of the guys in the live chat are saying. The mother from blow. Absolutely. Um, 
Uh, Sarah Paulson in Run. That's a great one. Uh, Cersei. Cersei's a great one from <laughs> that's, that's actually one. Aaron, uh, Aaron Medina is saying Cersei from uh, game of Thrones. That's a great one. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Yep. Uh, Goonies grand. Absolutely. Uh, mother, uh, several people saying the mother from blow. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of good. I'd have to think about it more, but that's a great topic of conversation. All right. Next up, we've got uh Jedi Lori who writes one of three. It's funny how en- how enjoyment of a movie can have nothing to do with the quality of the movie. Take Luca, which takes place in Italy. Although I'm American, Italy is like a second home to me. I studied abroad there and have been back many times. I speak Italian, uh, so I watched the movie in Italian first. I loved it. Then watched it in English, but didn't like it. The American voices just didn't work compared to the Italian voices. Uh, I watched it four more times in Italian. It's now one of my favorites. Not because of the story, quality, or the movie, but 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 maybe the Italian director knew how to show his country in such a way uh, that the viewing experience in Italian is a special one. I know he has nothing to do with the foreign voice casting. Yeah, so it was funny we were talking about, and obviously that is obviously a big appeal point to me about Lucas because I'm Italian, so them doing stuff focused on Italy is great. Of course, they used every stereotypical Italian name they could. (laughs) And, you know, I didn't know if if, uh, I should be offended that most of the cast aren't actually Italian, but hey, whatever, that's fine. Um, But no, listen, it's totally makes sense because I remember when I was trying to watch Titans, you know, on uh, HBO Max. Well, at first I watched it on the DC streaming service that no longer exists. But now it's on HBO. I tried watching Titans. And when I first started watching Titans, the very fact that I instantly recognized my hometown of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, like the very first scene, I'm like, that looks like Hamilton. And I paused the show, went online search. And sure enough, they were shooting a lot of it in Hamilton. So instantly I'm connected to it, right? It's it's a lot of different things in storytelling can attach themselves to us. Now, unfortunately, I still didn't like Titans. And I gave up on it after season one. But, you know, I totally get where you're coming from with that, uh, Jedi Laurie. I totally do. Because, you know, when a movie or a show can find a way to get us emotionally attached to it, it's already won like half the battle. And sometimes that's because of their storytelling. But every once in a while, it can be something else for an individual as well. So I totally relate with you, Jedi Laurie. I really do. All right. Next up. Dad Jokes writes, John, part one of two. What if the big bad Loki variant is Kang at the end of the show? Sylvie isn't called Loki. Great examples of movies with weakish plot, but excellent characters. Okay, so we've just changed topics here in the middle. I I suppose that's possible. Um, Anyway, uh, great examples of movies with weakish plot, but excellent characters. Uh, Breakfast Club. Yep. 12 Angry Men. Train to Busan. As Good as It Gets. Oh, God, I love it. No, I think everything about As Good As It Gets is perfect. The story, the characters, everything. Um, any others? Oh, there's probably more, but I, I don't have that off the top of my head. But, oh, you just reminded me, though, is As Good As It Gets. That movie with, it's one of my favorite Jack Nicholson films, but also like Greg Kinnear as the gay next door neighbor, Cuba Gooding Jr., um, Holly Hunter. It's That was not, not Holly Hunter. Uh, uh, who was the girl... Um, oh, what was it? Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. I was going to say the girl who was in the show with Paul Reiser, Helen Hunt, uh, Helen Hunt, a, a small cameo kind of role. Uh, uh, Egon from, um, from Ghostbusters. Uh, what's his name? Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, uh, a pair appeared in it as a, as a doctor. And it's, it's such a 
beautiful movie about beautifully flawed people trying to become something better. And it's got Rob the ultimate romantic line in it. It is the simplest line, but I think it is the most romantic line. So you got Jack, who's like totally messed up. He's a totally messed up dude. He's cranky and grumpy. He's got a bad attitude. He also suffers from some issues, stuff like that. But there's a point in the movie where Helen Hunt asks him, like, why, like, why are you doing this? Why are you being the, and he says the best line ever. He says, you make me want to be a better man. That, that is the ultimate, I think, romantic line in any movie ever. You make me want to be a better man. I love that movie. Oh, and Rick Salazar is reminding me of some of a line in the movie. Rick Salazar in the live chat is saying, how do you write women so well? Rob, you remember that thing? That line when the secretary says, how do you write women so well? And what exactly does it say? He says, I think of a man and then I remove accountability and something else. It's like, it's one of the most wrong lines. One of the most wrong things any character could say, but it's so freaking hilarious at the same time. I know, Rob, if, if you're trying to think of movies, he's asking movies that don't necessarily have a great plot, but do have great characters. Because you and I were talking about how characters, if you could only pick having in your movie a great plot or a great character, ideally you have both. But you and I both said you go with character. But if you had to think of a movie, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but can you think of any that you would say would have a mediocre maybe plot but has fantastic characters? I don't know if it has a mediocre plot, but I would think Dazed and Confused. Oh, Because yeah. it's kind of a hangout movie. And it doesn't really there's things that are happening in it and there's there's various plot threads, but there's no real plot. It's such a great as Tarantino would call it a hangout movie where you just you're following these characters. It's so enjoyable. A movie I've watched for years. And, you know, another movie that came to mind right when you were saying this is Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights, where it's sort of a look at an era, but there isn't necessarily a plot. Right. Um but it looks at a time and a place and an industry. But man, do I love that movie. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Tron writes, if Sony makes a live action Miles Morales film, which I don't think they will, uh, which universe would you like to see him be in? MCU or Spunk? That's a Sony one. Uh, I'd like to see him in Spunk. MCU has so many characters that he wouldn't feel special. And while I love Venom, Spunk needs a Spider-Man. Um, you're not going to, here's the thing. You're not going to get any live action Spider-Man as long as Marvel is still producing Spider-Man movies. So you're not going to have a live action Spider-Man running around in one set of movies with another live action Spider-Man running around in another. They're going to either wait until there's no, until they're done their deal with Marvel and there's no live action Spider-Man in in Sony anymore. I'm not even sure they're going to do a live action Miles Morales, at least not anytime soon. They're winning Academy Awards with him with doing him in animated form. So I'm not sure that there's any plans for that anytime soon. But yeah, if Sony was going to do it, he would definitely be in the in Spunk. He would definitely be in Spunk. Rob, how would you answer that? Uh, I think so, too. You know, I, I, I mean, why wouldn't we want to see him? Uh, but it's just it's just a question of how are they going to do that? I mean, I, you know, maybe. 
I, I mean, one of the things that we haven't talked about really is everyone's talking about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield perhaps being in Spider-Man No Way Home. What if Miles Morales is? Yeah, I don't see them doing it. I, I know, I but think, it would. It, I don't think Sony would let them do it while they're trying, while they're running really hot with the uh, Into the Spider Verse animated thing. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But it, listen, anything can happen. I mean, they're bringing Doc Ock and freaking. I know back. that's I what mean, I'm saying. Anything can happen. I again, I just don't see the motivation for Sony to allow that to happen. I don't see Sony. I don't see what the upside for Sony is there, especially when they've got a very successful Miles Morales animated thing happening. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, my comic planet writes, John, I have some news for you. IMAX just sent uh just sent announced just sent announced an exclusive look at dune on july 21st just go to dunemovie.com and that's it i'm so excited did you hear about this news if not uh see if ann can help you get tickets while you're doing the show um now wait a second an exclusive look at dune on june 21st rob you want to look this up is oh i already did uh is it but is it a look as in a little preview or is it a Come see Dune as an advanced preview. What? How, no, no, I think reading? they're showing a a certain amount of footage or something. Okay, kind of like they did with that uh, Star Trek movie where they put out or uh, that Lord of the Rings. I think it was with the Star Trek movie, right? It was with like the second J.J. Abrams Star Trek film that they showed like the first five minutes of The Hobbit or something like that in IMAX. I can't remember exactly, but. Eh. I, I'm I'm more excited for the movie than I am for a preview. Yeah, I, me too. I, don't get me wrong. I'll I'll go to see this preview, but I'm more excited for the movie itself. But thank you for putting that on my radar, dude. I appreciate that. All right, next up, Federico Della Casa writes, "Hey John and Rob, I think we'll see Immortus at the end, but it's just a title. Well, because we all know who Immortus really is anyway. Anyway, uh, I think we'll see Immortus at the end, but." Uh, but is just a title like The Wizard of Oz and in reality will be a Loki variant. Uh, in these shows, we've seen everything is around the titular hero, perhaps Ravona, due to Kang's connection, but not himself. I mean, again, that's what it comes down to. It's either going to be Kang because everything in this show is pointing to Kang, just like everything in WandaVision pointed to Agatha. But this is called Loki. It's been about all Loki variants. It's been about Loki kind of battling himself and the darker sides of himself as he strives to be something else. So that points to it being a Loki variant. Maybe it's one, maybe it's the other. Maybe it's a bit of both, like Rob was saying earlier. We'll find out tonight. We are now 10 hours and 33 minutes. 10 hours, 33 minutes away from the finale of Loki tonight, ladies and gentlemen. All right, next up, we got Chris Baker who writes, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, uh, comes out next week, but tickets uh, still aren't available for pre-order. Do you find that odd? No. I I very, very rarely order tickets, like pre-order tickets too far in advance anyway for anything. So I honestly don't find that odd. I don't. I'm looking forward to seeing this movie, Rob, and it's been a long time since we've been able to say, man, I'm looking forward to an M. Night movie. Uh, and now I was looking forward to Glass. That movie ended up tremendously disappointing me. Um but you know what? I I feel like, despite the fact that I didn't think Glass was all that great, I feel like M. Night has been finding his stride again. And this movie looks really interesting. This looks like a good, low-budget, you know, concept-driven kind of thriller horror thing. 
I think the trailers have all been great. They've been getting me excited to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing old. What about you? Dude, I can't wait to see old. It looks so good to me. I hope it's good. Yeah, fingers uh, crossed. But I really want to see it. I'd like to see that the, these, this uh, resurgence of M. Night continue. I, I really would at this point, even though I didn't like Glass. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Rich, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Rich, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Really appreciate that. And Rich writes, is it possible that the big bad is Loki from the main MCU? Well, this is our Loki from the main MCU? Anyway, because older Loki said something in the last episode about how he made a projection so real that even Thanos thought Loki was dead, but he wasn't. Sorry if that's a dumb question. Thanks for all that you do. Um... So you're wondering if the Loki we saw in Avengers Infinity War that Thanos picked up by the neck and broke his neck, if that was another example of what old man Loki was just, Loki just projected an image of himself that felt so real that it fooled him. It could be but the problem with that loki then being our big villain is the fact that that loki had already gone through a bit of a redemption arc that loki had you know restored his relationship with his brother and i i so i don't see it but could we find out that loki never actually died in infinity war this is the MC fake death universe so and, and that's totally possible i actually kind of like the way i don't think they're going to do that I think that I don't think they're going to do that, but I think that's a really interesting theory, Rich. I'm glad you shared that. I think that's a very, very interesting theory. Thanks for sending that in, man. I'm going to think about that. All right. Next up, uh, Island Girl writes, hey, John and Rob from Antigua. Love this show so much. Thank you so much, Island Girl. I can't go a day without uh, watching. Regarding the Loki theories, I predict I predict Stephen Dorff is the man behind the curtain. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? Now, listen, I will say this. I'm not going to go into the Stephen Dorff thing again, but I will say this. If it turns out that Stephen Dorff is the main bad guy in this and that whole thing, idiotic thing he did was one big giant publicity troll stunt, I will call it the most genius thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I will come out and say it is the most genius thing that I have ever seen if they do that. I obviously it's not what they're going to do, but it would be the most genius thing. Thanks for sharing that island girl. All right, let's get one more in here while Rob is still with us. This one comes to us from Russell Amador who writes, Hey John, from one movie lover to another, I was curious, uh, when do begin to devour snacks at the theater? Typically for myself, I ride out 30 minutes of trailers. Then once the lights dim, devour every ounce of popcorn. What is your approach? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Um, I would say, Rob, I don't know about you, but I don't go into, um, I don't go into a, a movie terribly early, like in the, in the, thank God they finally started doing pre-reserved seating in movie yes. theaters. But once that of that enlightened era finally hit most theaters in North America, I go into a theater at max about five minutes before the movie starts. But I am the kind of guy that I start eating my snacks right away. I, I don't wait for the movie start. I, I get into my popcorn. I'm usually finished eating my snacks five minutes into the movie. I don't have any reason for that 
It's just that if I have, Rob, some salty, buttery deliciousness sitting in front of me, I cannot sit there and not devour it. So I start eating it right away. What about you? Do you when do you start eating your snacks at the theaters? Oh, immediately. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I don't sit around and not eat. I like popcorn with, with hot and enough salt on it. I don't put butter on it like you do. But I start eating it right away. And I, you know what I really like is having chocolate and popcorn. Sometimes you might even put peanut M&Ms in your popcorn. You know, I kind of like to do that. And it's right away. I'm usually halfway done with my popcorn when the trailers are over. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get in one more here while Rob's here. Uh, Casey McNatt writes, hey, John, I just want to point out that the Wheel of Time hasn't even come out yet. So I don't know what you guys are thinking. What, what is the show we were thinking of then? What's the show we were thinking of? Um, the one that had James McAvoy in it. The show? Yeah, like if it wasn't Wheel of Time, which which was it again? I uh, maybe I'm switching. Oh, is it is it? Uh, it's not. Um, uh, the Golden Compass, the His Dark Materials. Show. That's that's probably is that the one that would that had James McAvoy in it? Okay, maybe that's the one where where the, with the, they have their own animal demons. Yes, it's yes, His Dark. Oh, materials. okay, His Dark Materials. Sorry, I yeah, I I got the two mixed up. Sorry, this is I don't really care about them, so I got, I got them mixed up. Sorry about that. Thank you for pointing that out, Casey. I appreciate that very very much. And thank you to everybody in the live chat who's reminding me of that. Black Robin, Harvey, Andres mentioning it was His Dark Materials. Sorry, I just got those wires crossed on that. Got those two mixed up. Thank you for the update on that, though. All right, Rob. Listen, I know we've kept you a bit over time. Thanks a lot for being here today, man. We'll of course talk to you again tomorrow. But in the meantime. Where can people follow you and all your greatness online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here. Great job as always. And I'll talk to you tomorrow, man. Have a good one. See you tomorrow, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And listen, we still have some time left, so let's keep on going through your questions. By the way, Iconic Reaction sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iconic. I appreciate that, man. All right. Let's keep things rolling here. Next up, uh, that was Casey. Next up, we have Casey also writes in, Hey, John, with Endgame over and the Infinity Stones no longer needed, do you think sometime in the future we'll ever see the Red Skull ever again in the MCU? What are your thoughts? I don't know. Here's the thing. Not only is the MCU way overstuffed with hero characters, we now have so many villainous characters that while I would love to see the Red Skull return, I don't know if they ever have a need for him to come back. I just don't know that they have a need for him. I mean, I would love it. I would love to see Red Skull return. Dude, when I was watching Infinity War and that moment you realized that the hooded figure on Vormir was actually Red Skull, my jaw dropped into my lap. I turned to Anne. I'm like, that's Red Skull. I was so stoked, but... I I just don't see why where would they need him? You're not going to use him with Sam's Captain America. That doesn't make sense. He doesn't really fit in anywhere else. So I don't know. I would love it, but I don't see why you would bring him back when they have a thousand other villains that they can use now. Again, I'll just say I hope they do, but I don't think they will. But I re- I'll keep my fingers crossed that they do. All right, next up. Ben Rayner writes, hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Ben. Thank you for asking. Um, 
I don't know if you saw this, but WandaVision also got nominated at the Emmys. Yeah, we were just talking about this earlier at the Emmys for the limited series category. Also, Elizabeth and Paul both got nominations. This makes me happy because WandaVision is my favorite of the three shows. Bring on the filthy. I agree with you. WandaVision is absolutely my favorite of the three shows. Uh, I, I liked Falcon the Winter Soldier very much. I'm enjoying Loki, but man, they really do need to stick the landing tonight for me to have a really good overall impression of the show as a whole. But I loved WandaVision. Loved it. And the performances by both, you know, obviously we were talking about Catherine Hahn earlier, but by Elizabeth Olsen, by Paul Bettany, fantastic. Uh, they didn't get like the big prize nomination, like Best Actor and Actress in a Drama, but they did get nominated for Best Actor, Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series, which is still great to see. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for them because I freaking love that show. Okay, next up, Tron writes, one of two. Saw F9, and wow, I've seen Looney Tunes episodes more realistic than this film. The good. Actors do a fine job. I agree with that. Roman and Tej banter. Kind of want a spinoff with them. And mid credit scene. Uh, the bad, probably everything else from the script, VFX, and absolutely no stakes. Um... Where's part two? That's probably not. Uh, didn't care about the Toretto family stuff at all. Also, I got to admit, I felt that Hobbs and Shaw were definitely missing in this, or at least more interesting foil to play off Dom than Cena. Do you think Hobbs and Shaw returned for F10? I do. I do think both Hobbs and Shaw returned for Fast 10, primarily because, look, the reason The Rock wasn't in F9 is obvious. Like him and Vin Diesel had a major falling out. A big falling out that a lot of us thought was all publicity at first, but then it became very apparent. It was a very, very real, a very, very bitter falling out. And, but recently, not too long ago, they both started extended extending olive branches. I think Vin Diesel put out some public comment on his social media when I think Rock got remarried or it was something along those lines and then Rock reciprocated and... So, yeah, I think they've probably mended those bridges. I'm just guessing. Listen, I'm not into the TMZ stuff, so I don't keep my finger on the pulse of that, like, behind-the-scenes drama bullshit. But I'm going to guess that they will be. I guess that they will be. I, I I will say this, though. I liked Hobbs and Shaw a lot better than I liked Fast 9. I'll, I'll just say that for now. So it would, it would be good to see him come back for that. All right. Uh, next up, we go to uh, Aaron Yeager, who writes... Hey, John, you mentioned TV animation today is lacking. I raise you any Japanese anime. My recommendation is Attack on Titan. The storytelling, the music, the voice acting, the art, truly a masterpiece that I will rewatch for the rest of my life. Again, eh, okay. I mean, look, I the last thing I want to do is yuck on anybody's yum. So that you love it that much, that is great. And I'm not saying it's not great. But I also don't think it is top-shelf animation. I think it's animation um, that suffices, helps tell the story, and that's exactly what it needs to do. But if they were to say, we need you to make 110 minutes, and we're going to give you three years to do that 110-minute story, and we're going to give you a budget of $120 million for, for just a 110-minute movie, that you got three years to make and $120 million to use on talent and resources and things like that, I guarantee you it would look five times better than it does on the TV. But they do a great job for what it is. But that's just my take. doesn't mean I'm right. 
you you have your take on it, and that's awesome. And I'm not trying to yuck in your yum, but if you're going to ask me my opinion, my opinion is a little bit lower than yours. But, you know, the important thing is, did you love it? Do you like it? Does it work for you when you watch it? And if it does, then that's a big win. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. We've got Ryan Loner who writes, I'm approaching age 40 and the turning red trailer instantly made me want to hide under my desk. That's effective emotional tapping. I'm telling you what, when the little girl is there and somebody says your mom is outside the window, I wanted to shrink in my chair. Again, it reminds me a lot of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse when the dad's like talking to Miles on the loudspeaker of the cop car. Say, I love you, dad. I mean, you just want to, you feel it. Doesn't matter if you're middle aged or not, you feel it and you just want to shrink. I love that moment. All right, K Major tips in like $50. Thank you, K Major, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Thank you so much, dude. Uh, K Major writes, one of four. Hey, John, I'm grateful for your show even more these past days. I lost my father this past Thursday. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Uh, Anne just lost her dad a couple of years ago. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, even if you're expecting it, it's, just a terrible thing. Uh, and it's been difficult. My dad is literally the reason I enjoy movies. I told you a few weeks ago, the first movie going experience. I remember, uh, is seeing cop and a half. I remember that my favorite memory, uh, is seven year old me watching Indiana Jones and the last crusade three times in one day. When he came home, all I can say was dad, 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 return of the Jedi was our favorite star Wars movie. Mine too. Uh, do you think they will make a last of, oh, sorry, th that's a different question. Um, I watched him cry at Schindler's List, Titanic, and Moulin Rouge, which told me, hell yeah, dudes can cry at movies. I'm happy he was able to dance at my wedding. Uh, he wasn't perfect, but he was my papa. Uh, thanks, John, for all you do. Bring on the filthy. Listen, I'll tell you one of the things, this comes up all the time when we talk about movies and movie fandom and the, and the connection we have with movies is, we always say the movies are experiential events. And like any experiential events, when you have big experiences, it creates bond bonds between you and the people you shared those experiences with. I don't care if that experience is going skydiving or if that experience is, you know, going to an amazing amusement park or if that experience is watching a movie together. Movies are experiential events and they create the bonds with the people we share those experiences with. And, you know, I often talk about, you know, when, when my best friend growing up died a few years ago, it just made me appreciate and think all the time about the experience of me and him taking a bus to downtown Hamilton as kids to go and watch uh, Tim Burton's Batman movie, right? And we've had so many people write in different times that when they've lost loved ones, they remember going to see this movie with them or that movie with them, or they're the ones who introduced me to this film. And it, it, it in many ways means now, whenever you go back and you watch, you know, Moulin Rouge, or you watch Schindler's List, or you watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he's there with you. You're watching it with them all over again. And that's one of the beautiful things about films. And again, our deepest condolences for myself and everybody in the community for your loss, man. And that is awesome that you'll always be able to have him there with you when you share and watch those movies again. So that's great. And thank you for sharing your experience. And again, all of our con condolences to you and, and your family, man. Thanks for sharing that dude. All right. Uh, next up, and we're just getting ready to wrap up here. Next up, Raymond Reddington writes in, do you think they will make a Last of Us 3? Absolutely they will. Uh, would love it if they did. Last of Us 2 was amazing. A masterpiece of the video games it was. Also excited for TV show and remake of the first game. Yeah, listen, there was definitely some 
There was some controversy going around Last of Us 2. There were certain people that really didn't like the way it went. It's all subjective. That's all cool. Personally, Last of Us 2, I'm not going to mince words. It was fucking brilliant. It is absolutely the best narrative storytelling I have ever seen, like by miles, that I've ever seen in a video game. What the thematic thing, very, very, lots of movies and TV shows and stories try to do this, but very few do it well. What pain can do to people, even our heroes. It's amazing. It, it, it's absolutely fantastic. It's unbelievable. It won all the awards, just rightfully so. And again, I know not everybody loved it, and that's cool. But uh, I'm with you. I thought it was fantastic. And yes, they will definitely make a part three. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we've got GM writes one of two. My theory is Sylvie's Nexus event was Odin and Frigga adopting the wrong child. That's actually, that's not a bad theory, to be honest with you. That's a pretty good theory. The flashback to her being taken could be right after her adoption. She said she knew she was adopted and that child is old enough to remember being adopted. Um, She also barely remembers her mother, so did not spend much time, uh, so did not spend much time with her, explains why being born female wasn't her variance and makes relationship with Loki less icky. Dude, I'll tell you what, a lot of people are writing in saying that they think her variance is going to be the fact that from an early age, she chose to be a hero. But I love your theory. I love you. You're right. If they say that the variance is that she was the wrong child they adopted, it, it clears everything. It clears everything. It makes perfect sense. It would also make a relationship between her and the Tom Hiddleston Loki feel far less icky to me. I I don't know if that's what they're going to do. I'll tell you what, GM, I love it. I love your theory. Thanks for sharing that, man. Okay, uh, next up. I keep pressing the wrong button. Sorry. Next up, we've got the dragon rights. Hey, John, you were asked recently how you feel about Amazon's Wheel of Time show being greenlit for season two. Oh, yeah, we already covered this. Um, you, we, we already talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, we were talking actually about, anyway, you said that you found the show boring and dropped off. Does that mean they have already sent out screeners for season one? Just curious. No, no, no. We were talking about the, the Golden Compass thing. I got the Wheel of Time, the Golden Compass thing mixed up. So, yeah, that we already cleared up. Sorry about the, the confusion on that, Dragon. All right. And Jesse writes, I hadn't given much thought to who the big bad Loki could be, but I think you guys won me over with the Loki variant idea. To me, it's just great storytelling, having the Loki who thought he wanted ultimate power facing a Loki who achieved that feat. Yeah, that would be great. And again, I'm going to take the headphones off here. And again, it makes sense. The show is about Lokis. The show, thematically, it's been about Loki trying to battle himself and overcome what he was to become what he wants to be. I still think, though, when you go back to the arguments we were making for Kang, there are still, you cannot discount Kang. The whole time travel aspect, Ravona is directly connected to Kang. Alioth is directly connected to Kang. Kang written on the side of the building. The fact that we know he's coming in Ant-Man. The fact that we see the Void Castle at the end, which is Kang's. I mean, you can't ignore those either. So that's why I'm not, I'm not ready to go in 100% on any of the theories. Uh, but I do believe it's either Kang or it's a Loki variant, but there are very, very strong arguments to be made for both of them. We'll we'll see how it kind of turns out. Okay, last question of the day. Oh, no, sorry, it's not. Sorry, it's not. We got two left here. So we're going to start with um, Anonymous. Did I miss one? 
Oh, I guess I accidentally skipped over Anonymous. Okay. Anonymous writes, just putting this out, a reliable leaker, he actually leaked WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier finales, is now saying that Techno Huerta, uh, cast in Black Panther 2 in an undisclosed role, will actually portray Namor. Maybe Feige untangled that web after all. Eh, I'm going to doubt. I doubt it. I doubt it. But I'm not saying it's definitely not true, and I'm not saying it's definitely not possible. I'm just saying until I see something more reliable than, hey, a leaker, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't really pay any attention to that because if I paid attention to that, we'd be talking about a hundred different things a day that weren't true. So we'll just wait. I mean, it's possible. Could happen. But we'll wait and see. All right. Anyway, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment, we got through all the questions today, guys. How long has it been? It's been months since we got through all the questions in one show. But that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for that support. Guys, don't forget, a little bit later today at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time, it is game day. We are doing our Loki pregame show. Jump on board with just hours to go until the final episode of Loki. It's time for our last bit of theories. What are we going to see? What do we hope to see? Who's going to be this? There's a bunch of other questions besides who's the big bad guy to be answered. We're going to talk about that at 4 o'clock today. I hope you guys will come back and join us for that. All right, guys. That will do it for me. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.